Welcome to a special edition of Hit the Lights Plus. I have a slightly different arrangement on this one, so we're not going to be going through the usual interviews and life stories. We're going to be doing a little bit of uh, technical on this series. Um, I've managed to negotiate someone to join me on this journey, uh, Peter Arrow. Hello, Gary. Thank <laughs> you for asking me to come on. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, no, so it uh, should hopefully be interesting. If not, um, we'll just delete it. <laughs> <laughs> if nothing else, it will be interesting. Yeah. So this first one we're going to be doing is talking about the old age-old argument of rings versus radials. So I know probably everyone listening is going to have their preferences already as to what they like to do, how they think it should be done, what's right, what's wrong. We're not going to hopefully draw too many conclusions, but we are going to go through the debate of the pros and cons and just see what we end up with as a, as a potential conclusion. I think what me and Pete have agreed is that I will be taking the side of ring finals and Pete's going to be taking the side of radials. <laughs> yeah, let's do that. As usual, I'm on the winning side and uh, Gary's chosen to pick the losing side, so it'll be interesting. I've given myself the challenge. So, right, so let's let's kick off then with a, a few of the, the origins of rings and, and radials, and particularly rings. So I know that there's um, some information out there about it being a, a copper shortage post-World War II, and that this potentially was a, a development in the design to save copper. I believe that that's untrue. Um, and actually what occurred, I think in 1942, the electrical industry started looking at ways of developing circuitry and particularly the standardization of sockets and plugs so they would become the what we know as the bs 1363 nowadays and they were typically essentially just allowing for a larger circuits to be done in properties and commercial premises wherever there was a need for the sockets as they previously had been done for specifically for the appliance where they would have a its own designated socket and it would have its own plug specific for it so typically it's found in british influenced countries throughout the empire and the commonwealth so the likes of canada hong kong um, it's not something that's necessarily done worldwide and basically it's gone from there from about 1947 when it was integrated maybe we could start with some of the the fundamentals of a radial circuit pete and take us through why you think radials are a good thing so straight away i want to reference the on-site guide and talk about the difference between an a1 a2 and an a3 circuit i'll leave the a1 for you which is basically a ring which covers a 100 meter floor area recommended but coming in at an a2 is where we start to see a typical four mil radial which can go on a 32 amp circuit and cover a floor area of up to 75 meters squared which would be perfect for your commercial industrial situations because not many of us have 75 meter square rooms in our houses yeah unless you're a chartered engineer so it's worth uh noting you're in appendix h and table h 2.1 yeah it's page 188 of the little blue book right okay so one of the big things obviously but as a difference between radials and rings taking loads into account is that for a radial you're going to want a bigger cable size yes yeah no definitely you're going to want a bigger size cable and perhaps less floor area could be covered with a radial typically what do you what do we think the average house has in uh, square footage 
Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, I mean, I say it's just curbed to me off the top of my head. I mean, average room is what? Three by three. This room is three by five. So, so 50 metres square in a room. Jesus Christ. Just, yeah. So all, all I'm kind of, kind of driving at is we're, we're talking domestically. The square footage that's kind of being quoted here is not going to get done uh, domestically unless you are doing a ring up and down and you've got an extension you've got a garage and you literally put one ring on everything that, that that's kind of the point i was driving at that you're not yeah, gonna so for the floor area served here we're not i mean i'm just looking into part one chapter one of the regs and somewhere in here it says about division of installation so not only would it be considered bad practice to wire the whole house on one ring it's actually advised against it in the regs that's probably a good starting point ne- neither really are applicable on the, the amount of maximum floor area that can be served in terms of the number of sockets and load that we are actually pulling um so some of the typical loads that you're going to get uh, and I'll, I'll go with a kitchen being the probably the most heavily used of all the rings in the house so typically you'll have a, a microwave at 800 watts um, you'll have a coffee machine, 800 watts, a kettle, 1.2 kilowatts, fridge, 400 watts, an extractor fan for the hob, 200 watts, a toaster is a kilowatt, uh, a washing machine, 750, dishwasher at 1.2 kilowatts. So overall, that's between eight and nine kilowatts in your kitchen i think if you allow for some diversity on that on typically what might be used at any one point when cooking your dinner and and bits and pieces like that i would say you're probably going to be looking at around four and a half kilowatts being run at any one time which is about 50 percent diversity 50 to 60 percent diversity which probably is about in line with the the on-site guide in terms of the recommendations made in appendix e what about yourself yeah, no, I'd agree with all what you've just said there. However, the trouble with doing that and with the appliances which you've just stated going on a ring final circuit are going to be you don't want to overload one side of the ring too heavily, typically above 20 amps. And as you said, normally you have a washing machine and a fridge and that would be in one area. So what a lot of people I work with tend to do now is pull a radial in for countertop devices. So your microwave, your kettle, your coffee machine, and then below the worktop level, they'll have another radial, which not only eliminates the problem of overloading one side of the ring, but it also splits up the system nicely to allow for continuity of services in the event of a fault. Yeah, it's probably a good point to mention that I've missed about doing fused radials off of the ring final. I mean, in terms of like the wiring regs in Appendix 15, obviously they make notes about unfused and fused. And, and bits and pieces like that. Um, so typically, how do you deal with those sorts of scenarios within your installations? Sorry, what scenarios exactly are we talking about? Well, in terms of the what you would and wouldn't fuse from a ring. Well, typically, the way we try and work it now is just to have a local socket, because a lot of people now don't want to see fuse spurs. They want the minimalist look above the countertop. Mm. So whereas maybe 10 years ago, you'd see five or six fuse spurs, perhaps a grid switch, People don't want to be seeing that. So now we're trying to get sockets localised in the cupboards, which are just carrying on the ring below level, is how I have done them in the past. But again, I also do quite like this above and below radial situation. Yeah. I mean, one of the things to note in 7.2.2, 
of the on-site guide they they mention as a rule of thumb for rings unfused spur length should not exceed one eighth the cable length from a spur to the furthest point of the ring so if we've got 100 meters potentially worst case then one eighth of that is going to be 12 and a half meters in terms of length away from the furthest point of the ring obviously we're never going to encounter those sorts of distances domestically so are there any rules you use to capture that or do you follow that as a guideline in your installs typically i never try and actually break the ring i'm not a fan of spurs unless they're fused so if you're there at a circuit you could either break into the ring and extend it in the back box hopefully but traditionally if i'm going to extend the ring i will extend the ring and not spur from it it's probably worth noting on the loads as well that i think it's uh, point three about any loads above two kilowatts to be put onto their own circuit so you know we talked about a hob typically induction hobs you're probably getting up to that sort of realm obviously we already put cookers on their own and and ovens um is there any other kind of kit that you've realized lately is starting to increase in load no to be honest i'd say quite the opposite a lot of stuff seems to be going down i think that actually relates back to the, the 1363 shouldn't be subjected to loads of 10 amps or more for a period of time and we've all seen it where people put a few spur in an immersion heater go back six months and it's all burnt again i always go back to the division of installation and i'll always try and feed as many circuits around the property as i can especially in the kitchen sometimes you could almost end up with a small sub board with about six circuits in it just feeding that area we've kind of we've spoken a bit about rings so what would be a benefit of making that a radial instead you've got less copper for one if you're just doing a small kitchen normally your kitchen's nearby your consumer unit so do you really need the extra loading for that you can divide it up. You haven't got the problem of taking load, you know, load hotspots basically. So if you've got one corner of your kitchen which is really heavily loaded, it won't matter on a radial because it only has one path back. They're easier to fault find if you have a loose conductor in the line or the neutral. It just won't work beyond that point. So when it comes to fault finding, sometimes on a ring final circuit. You get people pulling the whole house apart, chasing round faults, which, because it's fed from both sides, it's very difficult to find. However, on a radial, it either works or it doesn't. Mm. So, you know, typically on a lighting circuit, if the lights work up to one point, you know it's fine. But beyond that, if it stops, it's pretty easy to see where the fault is. If we boil this argument down, we're talking about one leg back, aren't we, really? That's all we're really arguing over is whether we should take one leg back. I think one of the good arguments I've seen for doing that is maintaining an earth facility in that, you know, if there's a break, you've still got the protection or at least some protection from one side of the ring. Yeah, I must admit, that's one thing I can't argue. I think that's good practice. It's not something we do in all circuits, though, is it? We it's a risk based approach, isn't it? Well, as we move forward with technology now, we're finding a lot more electronic components in our gadgets and stuff. So it should perhaps be something we do start to consider a bit more. We're getting a lot more earth leakage now. And as you said, it'd be nice to have that secondary conductor for excessive earth leakage currents. I mean, is it something you would consider potentially in the future then wiring like two in parallel? Even if it, you know, even if it was a radial to still have the two cables in parallel well i've recently had a subcontractor come in on a job with me and he's an advocate of 20 amp rings because he doesn't see the necessary need for the loads but he likes the idea of a ring he likes its resilience so, yeah I, I i can't disagree with that i think probably worth noting that you then have less square area to to go around as well i think it drops to 
50 metres? On a 2.5, it's a 50 metre floor area. Yeah. On, a, on an A3 circuit, 2.5 with a 1.5 earth radial. So if anything, providing your design works out okay, you could even push that. Okay. Yeah, an A3 radial, 20 amp on a 2.5, that'll go down to a 50 metre floor area. For the, like, if you think about the higher risk circuits we have in a house like the shower for instance something you would then consider putting in this additional conductor for i don't know it'd be interesting to test it i mean how much electronics are there really in a traditional electric shower i know myra and aqualiza now do all these fancy off your app phones and you can turn it on and then there's lights that change when the temperature's set and it'd be interesting to test one of those to see what sort of protective conductor currents you're getting because obviously there's a lot more electronics in one of them. Traditional shower, I wouldn't. But, I mean, the other ones, they're also using less load. They're normally off a switch view spur off a local ring circuit. Okay. You would then yeah. have the two conductors, is what I'm saying. Okay, yeah, that's fair enough. Um, probably a, a good point about, you know, I've, I've heard lots of people talk about doing four mil rings, which, I mean, you're kind of getting best of both worlds, but it's, it seems a bit overkill potentially to do both the one thing i struggle with that is the termination room in the back of sockets and actually putting in two four mils is that something you've struggled with as well i have recently done a job and because of the run and it went through a bit of insulation i've actually run a four mil ring just to get over the correction factors the way i actually do these sort of i actually prefer second fixing sockets with four mil because it's stranded over a solid conductor and it bends it just a lot more forgiving whereas um the running it isn't a lot worse it's slightly thicker but it's not terrible takes up a little bit more space on a joist but it's minimal i got my apprentice to put two six mil cables into the back of a socket which he did so i like to think if he can get two six mils in the back of a socket then two four mils shouldn't be a problem and you you would just avoid radial any radials off that as well again if i would be putting that in new basically so there shouldn't be any need to have a spur coming off of that apart from perhaps a switch fuse spur for the extractor in the kitchen or something similar where you actually need to fuse it down one of the other aspects of rings versus radials is i think you kind of touched on it is the amount of time it takes to test potentially even fault find um on them so what are some of the the common things you're, you you've tended to find with radials that you're not you don't have to experience with a ra- uh, with a ring or vice versa sorry yeah well you can get a broken conductor through its end to end so you get a line which goes around a neutral which goes around an earth which completely complete the full circuit so that can go undetected so you can have a loose neutral for example so you've got your line pulling the full circuit you've got your earth being there but if your neutral's trying to pull the full current and it's not rated to pull that so it could be pulling up to the 32 amps but i think if it's clipped direct 2.5 is only rated at 27 amps so i've had it before and i think i've posted pictures online where the neutrals actually start to melt together just because obviously you're going over its design current especially in winter people plug in electric heaters and all the rest of it they get diys now trying to change sockets and stuff if they're not done properly or you've just got a loose connection or a bad termination somewhere then that's where it becomes apparent whereas on a radial circuit that just wouldn't happen because it wouldn't work so does the the aspect of it being longer to test do you say that bothers you i quite enjoy testing so no it's a it's all right for me but no i can understand it you're sort of losing the art form a little bit when you're not testing in a ring final circuit but when you go to these industrial commercial properties people want their businesses back up and running same in their house you know if your kitchen stops working 
you don't want someone coming in there and spending hours and hours pulling your house apart if it's not working same with the lighting analogy i used earlier you can test up to a point if there's power there there's not beyond there so it's between point a and b one of, one of the things we've started been for a, around a while industrially is the testers which can locate a fault to a point and tell you the distance to it is there anything like that that you're aware of exists potentially for this sort of testing there isn't something i know there's available in the data industry but i wish it would come across further into us but the way i'd normally do it is work out a meter length of two five for example take whatever reading it gives me on my tester and then do the test to the fault and then i divide that by the answer to work out a meterage that way so you can get a rough idea okay that's not a bad tip it's worked quite well in the past and yeah probably will carry on to use it in the future it's one of the main points potentially as well that if you do in the event of a fault you can salvage a ring better than you can a radial potentially well, yeah that would be back down to the resilience route so you wouldn't necessarily be using a ring for its current loading properties you'd be using it for its purpose that if ever there is a fault then you can split them into 220 amp or 260 amp radials so i have had a job before where they'd had an extension done and the builders had wired it and they'd actually buried twin and earth direct in the screed in the kitchen so sand and cement has corroded the pvc and over time it's destroyed one of the legs of the ring so we were able to temporarily rectify that by splitting it into two 16 amp radials and in the long term, obviously, she'll either have to lose our island, which was what one leg of the ring ended up feeding, or take up the floor, the tiles, and try and make it work. But I think the real answer is if it's installed correctly, you shouldn't really have a problem unless someone goes at it with a cable or a screw or something. But again, if you're all in your zones and stuff, that shouldn't become a problem. So I always think if it's installed correctly, you shouldn't need that problem. However, there's plenty of people out there that just wing it and have a go, don't know these rules. And that's normally when we end up turning up and trying to get over the mess they've created. So just for anyone listening for the zones we we were just talking about in 7.3.2 of the on-site guide, um, there's a a good little diagram there um, of the cable installation zones. So, I mean, it sounds like we're kind of moving towards a, a conclusion here, but I mean, are there any other things that we should really be considering in applying rings and radials? I mean, let's maybe step away and talk a bit more commercially then, because this is probably where we're going to find the biggest rings. Industrially, you're not going to find them. They're, they're, you know, single inductive loads typically, and you're not going to be utilising rings. Um, But in commercial offices, so you're talking you might be getting up towards the 100 metres square area that you might have x number of desktops you'll have phones stuff people carry on them chargers various bits of kit that they'll actually have are there any recommendations do you think to actually step away from that so i think it's down to the actual utilization of the commercial premises so as you said then about an office if you were to do the whole floor area in a ring final circuit you've then got to take into account its protective current conductors which should be no more than 30 percent of the i delta n of the rcd so if we have a 30 milliamp rcd then it should be no more than 9 milliamps for the expected conductor current so really you're not going to have more than three or four computers at a time so from that design point you'll be limited to how much force space you could actually cover because of what you'd be plugging into it i can't i don't think there's probably much else we could 
add to this subject really is there no i think the natural drawn conclusion is it depends on the loading of the circuit to whether you can if it's like a sports hall then yeah you can put a ring in because you're going to only be plugging in low current using equipment throughout the place and you're going to get that great floor area covered but when you're using a high current sporadically placed throughout the places you're probably better suited to using a radial or the 20 amp ring because then you've got your resilience. But if it's installed correctly, then that shouldn't ever really be a problem. Final question then for yourself, and I'll give my version of it as well. Okay. What will you go forward installing? Do you have a preference? Well, anyone that follows me on my social media profile will see that I've recently started to use radials a lot more. And it's a scary jump going from someone that's always used rings because that's the way how it's always been. And you sort of break in the mould a little bit. But we're not pulling the loads that we used to be. I mean, even when you put a clamp meter on a property, I mean, my dad's house, which has got two outbuildings, two boilers, an office and all the rest of it. It's pulling around 24 amps when it's doing stuff. So I just don't think you're ever really going to need to pull a ring in anymore unless you're going some fair distance. If you had a big sports hall, then yeah, I could understand putting in a ring. But at the same time, would you not want to divide it up and have two halves on a radial? So I think moving forward, I'm going to stick with the radial idea. And if I've got a lot of rooms, a large upstairs perhaps, not using a lot of current, then I might be inclined to go for a 20 amp ring. But ring circuits in themselves, I think it's time to draw them to a close. I would go with the 20 amp ring, I think. And that might be just because of my background and always having resilience and always having that facility that, okay, in the event of a fault, you're, you're limiting your current on the circuit rather than going with the absolute maximum of 32. And then you've also got that added protection that if, say, somebody does plunge a screw, through on a very unlikely scenario you've still got the additional earth to provide that protection for the circuit so i think that's probably the way i would go but there is no right or wrong answer with this and i'm sure there'll be people screaming at their radios right now (laughs) (laughs) anyway to provoke if nothing more but yeah it's it's one of those i think each individual situation would call for a separate answer really depending on what what the utilization is going to be i think it's all down to the load characteristics of the circuit and i appreciate what you're saying about having to take back a resilient uh, resilient leg but at the same time in a domestic board sometimes you don't have that freedom of space so i think maybe a kitchen you could do that or if you're doing a large upstairs, which is, you know, up two or three floors, then it would be a good idea. But I think the local circuit's on the same level as the board. Maybe not worth it just due to the fact that you're going to lose out a load of space at the board. On that note, that, that'll be it. And we'll have a, another topic for next time. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.